everyone. Welcome back to another episode of Crash Carts and Cocktails. Today, we have a very special guest. Someone who I have spoken about often, who has been kind of the extra in numerous jokes and lots of stories that we've shared. Everybody welcome my husband, Sean. Hi, thank you for having me. So the last time we tried to podcast together, it was a little difficult. He's a rather a bit of a diva. I'm a diva? <laughs> you're a diva. Me, I'm the diva in this relationship. Even today, you're like, this chair, these headphones, this setup, this is not right. You guys need to do better. You said do better. You didn't even meet my list of demands. My, my green room didn't have my snacks. This is absolute <laughs> bullshit. Okay, I will do better next time. Well, welcome. I wanted to give you a chance to kind of defend yourself, to talk about all of the things that we've discussed in prior episodes that you listened back and you've rolled your eyes and you've constantly been giving me rhetoric, telling me that's not what happened. This is what happened. And then you just tell your side of the story. All right. I tell you what, if you jog my memory and you tell me any of the episodes where you mentioned anything that I need to defend myself on, then we can jump into it. But for the most part, from what I can remember, I think you were actually right about everything. That's probably how I actually was. <laughs> Thank you. So let's talk about the car trouble episode. Oh, yeah. Well, that's a, that's a sore subject. Um, you left my car running all day long in the garage. There's no way for me to need to even defend myself. It's You're just so obviously at fault on that. I don't understand how. But do you think your response and yelling at me and staying up all night and having it towed and blaming me for not, I don't know, wanting to deal with it at that very minute and just wanting to go to bed, do you think your response is a little harsh? I think when people do something, they should take action to rectify the situation. They shouldn't put the onus on others to do so. And I think that's what you did. You washed your hands of it. You went home and went, ha ha, oh well. <laughs> And I had to take it over from there. And I was pissed. I was really pissed. And you should have done more to get the car home. See, I wonder if I was your girlfriend and I did that, if you would have made such a, a big deal. But being your wife, I need to rectify the situation. Yeah. I need to be accountable. I need to stand yeah. up for the, what's right and the justice. No. no, I think you treated me like a wife. And sometimes I just want to be a girlfriend again. If you were a girlfriend, I would have broke up with you and found <gasps> another girlfriend. You would not. Uh, yeah, no. You would just think how, <laughs> how cute and silly I am. No, I would have been like, all right, this chick is obviously going to be problems for me in the future. <laughs> it's time to move on. <laughs> the fact that you're my wife means I need to rectify the situation. You need to fix this. This is BS. You're supposed to be my partner. Wow. Sean normally is not this, like, you're not really a jerk, usually. <laughs> oh, am I coming off like a jerk? Kind of. <laughs> like, this is the one story where, you know, I'm going to be a jerk about it. I mean, that's the most ridiculous story. You left my car running in the garage all day long, and then you're like, you deal with it. And then you just went home, and I had a dead car in the garage that I needed for work the very next day. And so, you didn't care. I cared. Just not enough to stay up all night over it. My God. Anyway, I remember when we were first dating, I was telling my hairdresser, she was asking about you, how things are going. And I was like, you know what? He is never mad at me. Like I can do no wrong. He thinks I am just so lovely and so delightful and so fun and so great. He's never mad at me. 
what is what are you doing right now are you is this are you really insecure about our relationship that you want to hear me say lovely flowery things about you right now no no no. i'm just what talking you, <laughs> about when i was your girlfriend how i could do no wrong okay well and believe you could me, do i've wrong always now. i've always been the same a little absent-minded a little klutzy a little um ditzy if you may and that's part of what you used to love about me mm-hmm. now i feel like now you i live with you <laughs> And you're my problem. So these things that maybe once were cute are now a problem. All right. So welcome to marriage, you guys. (laughs) It's so fun. It just keeps getting better. I can't even tell you. We've been married for how long now? Almost 11 years. Coming up on 11 Coming up on 11, yeah. Wow. Yeah. This has been quite a ride. No, it's been great. It's been good. We've had a lot of success as a married couple. We have. And it's really good. The newest. You're just not allowed to drive my car to work anymore. That's all. Well, I still do sometimes. Yeah, I know, but you know, I, I drive by and I make sure it's turned off in the parking lot. <laughs> do not. Yeah, I go by there. I'm like, all right, let's make sure she's not running it in the parking lot. Oh, I mean, that's old news. Let's move on to something better. Okay. You let's talk it up. about. Let's talk about April Fools. Oh my god. <laughs> well, for the listeners at home, there was two attempts. One was successful. One was highly unsuccessful the first being the first and unsuccessful attempt was that they tried to convince me that there was a snake in the backyard by playing the bluetooth speaker with snake noises who's they they being angela and the two kids and uh the second the children ran upstairs and said daddy there's a snake in the backyard i said oh shit i better go check this out and sean so i come walking downstairs definitely afraid of snakes so this was a great idea i'm very afraid of snakes so i come running downstairs and it was working right up until I see Angela, who's standing at the bottom of the stairs going, making a face like, oh, there's a snake out there. <laughs> I go, oh, never mind. That's right. It's April Fool's. Forget it. It's over. And I just walked away. Everybody no, upset. You made, it as, you made it known that, oh, I know this is April Fool's. Oh, gee, look at the date. Oh, yeah. April Fool's got me fooled. And you just walking around saying that the kids were so excited <laughs> to scare you. We had this plan. And we were, they were like giddy jumping out of their jammies like waiting to scare daddy with this snake you could have humored them you should have stayed away from it then you could, you could have, have set f- it up faked it but you you didn't sell it like i looked at you and i was like oh this is a setup it's not about me <laughs> this is about you and the girls yeah make but... them happy i was so mad after that i was like oh man he could have played along because they were so disappointed they were like oh and then you're like yeah mommy gave it away i'm like oh you could have played along now you're going to pay. And I began my plot. (laughs) All right. So what'd you do? Tell everybody at home the terrible, nasty thing you did to me. (laughs) So Sarah and I, we always talk about this thing that we do at work. It's called 0.07 Sunday. And it's usually on Sundays that we go out after work. We'll get a Whoever wants to come, we go to a local restaurant, we have a drink, we have an appetizer, and then we, you know, commiserate, have fun, go home. Well, The night before April Fool's was a Wednesday and I work every Wednesday and we decided, hey, let's make our 0.07 Sunday tonight. Mm -hmm. Let's go. So we went to my favorite Mexican restaurant down the street. We had a drink. There was me, Sarah, two gentlemen nurses and one other girl. Ooh, gentlemen nurses. I know. I was weird. (laughs) I called them gentlemen nurses. (laughs) I would like a gentleman nurse, please. (laughs) So there was five of us. And it, it, nothing unusual, just hanging out. We're in our scrubs. You know, we were talking, laughing, having the best time as usual and went home. Well, 
after the snake situation, I decided I need to make this man who has, by the way, never been jealous ever. I cannot make you jealous. I have tried. I have done. I've told you stories. I tell you about things that people say to me, things that people do to me, (laughs) things that I want to do to them. And you're just, you can't even be bothered. You can't be bothered. So, I mean, if you listen back to the story, to the episode awkward, when I talk about the doctor who makes me like weak in the knees and I lose my words and I can't even talk to him and I turn into a baffling buffoon, that's how I get around this man that makes me giddy. And I told you the story and you're just like, what a dork. And that was it. Like you just don't even care. And I don't get it. Like other husbands care. They care when their wife is smitten by another man. Anyway, I digress. So as I'm sitting there, I realize I need to make him think that I was not out on my usual 0.07 outing, that I was out philandering. So I texted your brother and I said, Hey, do you want to go in on a April fool's day prank with me? And immediately he responds with yes, in all capitals. (laughs) So I said, okay, here's what we're going to do. Last night I went out with some coworkers to the Mexican restaurant and he knows that what you need to do is say that you saw me at this particular restaurant with another man, just me and him. And we were looking a little too close, a little too cozy go. (laughs) And, and what happened then? Uh, well, I started getting text messages from my brother. Hey, dot, dot, dot. What's up? Uh, is everything okay between you and Angela? Yeah. Why? Um, because I saw her cozied up with someone last night. I'm like, well, that doesn't really make any sense. I know she went out with some of her friends after work, like five or six people, you know, a few women, a few men. Uh, no, there wasn't multiple people there, says my brother. Just one person, and they were getting really, really close when I saw them. And I said, uh, what this person look like? You know, he's like kind of dark skin. I said, okay, uh, I think she was there with one of her friends that has darker skin. You know, maybe that's him. No. Look like, uh, look like almost uh, olive skin, like Italian. So I was like, all right, I'll investigate. So I came out and I was like, Angela, what the hell were you doing last night? She's like, what do you mean? And I was like, were you out with somebody last night? Like, no, no, no. It was, I mean, I was, I was just with the people from work. Okay, all right. And uh, it didn't really register with me. But then I started thinking about it. I'm like, Angela, were you, were you, were you out on the town cheating on me last night? This is when I'm texting Ryan and I said, Hey, keep going. (laughs) He's going, he's getting crazy. Go keep going. Keep going. I was so excited. I was getting a rise out of you. Yeah. Well, I mean, you did get a rise out of me, but I didn't have time to really process it all the way through before you saw the look on my face and you felt bad for me and you let me in on the joke, which I immediately was like, ah, that was good. You guys got me. So you kept pressing me. And I started to feel sorry for you. I started to feel uncomfortable. Practical jokes are one of those things that make me uncomfortable only because I've been joked on so many times throughout my life by my mother. Her favorite holiday, by the way, is April Fool's. Mm. And so I usually am on the defense of it. I'm never the one creating the jokes, like prank calls, any kind of practical joke. Make me feel sorry for the person because I've been there and I know how... um, 
terrible and how vulnerable and how embarrassing you feel after that fact. Yeah. So when I saw you start to get like, you were swerving in your chair, you're starting to like stutter over your words. And I could tell that you were getting like, was she lying this whole time? Was yeah. she lying? I mean, it was plausible, right? I mean, you were out with friends. Plus you I were started... out all night and then you didn't come home till, I don't know, like midnight or something. Yeah. So I was like, oh, this, that was, that's, I mean, it makes perfect sense, right? It makes perfect sense. So it was very believable. You recruited my brother and you did a good job of it and you guys kind of kept it going. You could have kept it going a little bit longer and just let me really like burn for a while. But you were merciful on me, which was fine. I mean, you got well, your my face, I, start, I realized I was smiling a little bit. And I was like, how is he going to take this smile? Is he going to take the smile as like a guilty, yeah, like, that's how uncomfortable I smile? Yeah, yeah. Or am I giving it away that this is a complete joke? No, it looked like you were like, oh, shit, what do I say? I'm caught. <laughs> like, what the hell do I do now? So then I said so April I like, Fool's oh, and you just sunk in relief and you were like that was really good you really got me it was it was good it was a good april Fool's and i was satisfied and i'm celebrating going oh my god i finally got him i finally got him like i've never been able to to joke you ever to fool you well i'm plotting my revenge so oh it's too late april fools is over yeah maybe april fools is over but the revenge is not over it's a dish best served cold so (laughs) okay you'll see noted Mm -hmm. so Back to my PTSD regarding um, April Fool's Day is it stems back to my childhood. So, you know, growing up in a home with a European mother who with an American father who just really enjoyed teaching her all of the American traditions, you know, Thanksgiving and um, whatever else. Well, April Fool's was her favorite. It was the favorite of all of the holidays, if you may. And my God, did she go above and beyond. So my very first April Fool's I can remember being completely fooled by her was, uh, it, it started March 31st, 1992, when she was driving us to school, my sister and I, and she looks at my sister and I, and she goes, Hey, if you could have anybody over for dinner, who would you have? And I immediately responded, Michael Jackson. And she's like, oh, okay, Michael Jackson. I would love to have him over for dinner. I was like, yeah, Michael Jackson. So then April Fool's is the next day and we're driving to school again. And my mom turns around again while we're sitting in the back seat and she goes, guess who's coming to dinner? And I was like, who? And she goes, Michael Jackson. And I was like, oh my God, like didn't even ask how, why, when, what? Like, it was just a fact. Michael Jackson was coming over for dinner. Kids are so stupid. (laughs) And I'm in second grade. So I'm going into my class. I'm telling all my friends that Michael Jackson is coming to dinner. And I was like, what do I wear? What do I do? I have to clean my room. We have to figure this out. Like, I, I, I want to show him all of my my records and my tapes and my moves he and all of these things. He wouldn't be interested in you. He was going to be interested. No, he, he wanted little boys. I had a full... I know. Well, now we know. <laughs> Anywho, this is before we knew that Michael Jackson was a predator. I was a huge fan. Everybody was a huge fan. We, you were a huge fan. We yeah, loved. my mom wanted to take me to Neverland Ranch when I was a little yeah. boy. Could you imagine that? You would have been, been a like, victim. I would have been like candy to him. He'd You're been his like, type. Oh. You are his type. So anyway. This delicious little boy. Okay. Enough. So Michael Jackson's coming to dinner. I am so excited. I go through the whole school day. I can barely eat. I'm so excited. I go home and I was like, mom, what time is he coming home? She's like, who? What? And I'm like, Michael Jackson. And then she's like, oh, 
April Fools. <laughs> you bitch. <laughs> uh, I was deflated. Were you very upset? I was so Did upset. Did she do anything to make it up to you? Like get you a toy? Or I don't something? remember. I was so mad. I'm like, how Take could she Disneyland? do this to me? Like, what did I do to deserve this? Like, I was so excited. I'm like, so he's not coming? So who's coming? She's like, no one. What are you talking about? I was joking. I'm like, oh my God, this is so cruel. Mm. And I remember that. The next year, 1993. Do you remember the movie? Home Alone 2, Lost in New York. No, I don't remember that. Okay, well, that movie has a big deal to my childhood, and here's why. So, do you remember that thing? It's called the Talk Boy. (laughs) And it was this little handheld device that Kevin McAllister used to change his voice from a little boy to almost a creepy old man. He goes, this is Peter McAllister, the The father. father. (laughs) Yes. (laughs) Credit card, you, you got, got it. it. <laughs> yeah, okay, so you know the toy. Well, it's a talk somehow, boy. Yeah. it's a talk boy. Mm. Somehow my mom got her hands on one of these and we had one and it was like the best toy ever. Mm. And she is talking and she has an accent. And so when she slows it down into that like male voice with the accent, mm-hmm. she sounded a little dangerous. Let me just tell you. So your mom has a real thick French accent. Did she just sound like like in the movie Taken? Yes. Like where, <laughs> where they stole his daughter? Good luck. Yes. Dracar Noir. It was exactly <laughs> that. So she decided to pull a prank on my dad while he was at work. And she records this whole message as ransom that she has now taken his family hostage and we're all tied up. Dude, that's actually really messed up. It's you, you so can't go messed doing up. Stuff like that. Well, she did. And she's saying, we're all tied up. Don't you even try coming. I want this much money by this time, this and that. And my poor dad, like I'm sitting there like I'm in on the joke. You know, I'm sitting there listening and I'm like hearing the quivering of his voice on speakerphone. And she is just laughing and laughing. And I am like, I feel so sorry for him. And he's like, okay. Okay. And he's, you could tell that he's like planning, like how, what do I do? I'm not, you know, she's like, don't call the police. Don't you dare say anything. Your wire, your phones are tapped. We have people watching you. You're being followed. Like all of it. Mm-hmm. And it took what I felt like. I was like, mom, you have to tell me how to tell the truth. Like, this is so mean. And I was so uncomfortable. And like, I just felt this is wrong. Mm-hmm. She thinks she's funny. She is like rolling on the floor, laughing at his responses. And I, I was like, uncomfortable with the whole thing and it didn't feel right and finally you know it felt like forever but she did like she called him back and she's like april fools you know and he was like you got me like he was not even mad shockingly not even mad maybe that's why she kept had having this like inspo to keep going because nobody ever gave her gave it back to her we didn't even have the time we were all just like okay, um, what's she going to do to us? So we were all on the defense, like sleeping with one eye open, where we didn't even think to plot or plan to get back at her. Well, how come you never have? How come you don't do it now? I don't even know how. I, I, I'm not good at it. It's mean. Every single thing people do that's a good one is, is very mean, I think. You could find something that she's gullible about and exploit it. I think that'd be a good one. Now she's like an old lady. I'm not going to tell her something and then like make her have a heart attack and drop dead. Like that's <laughs> not something I'm going to do. No. <laughs> I guess you're right. So, and I, I mean, she just never really fully understood um, how to communicate with children age appropriately, you know, like these kind of things scar you. 
And I don't, I just, maybe it's a generational thing. Maybe it's a foreign thing. I don't know. But one time <laughs> she was just telling me this story about when um, my great grandmother died. When grandma Marie died, my sister was probably like seven, six or seven years old. And for some reason, she took it really hard. I mean, I don't even really remember Grandma Marie. I met her maybe a couple of times, but I didn't really have a bond with her, but my sister really did. And mm -hmm. she cried and cried and cried for days when my mom was like, hey, Grandma Marie went to heaven. Um, we're going to celebrate her life, whatever. My sister was inconsolable, just crying. Finally, my mom tells me the other day, <laughs> Then she goes over to my sister and she goes, guess what? Grandma Marie is back from heaven. She's fine. We can go visit her any day. And my sister was just so happy and just like, how old never, was your sister? She when was like she did six this? or seven. Never asked about her again. Just kind of like, oh, stopped the crying, stopped the mourning and just was like, oh, good. And then just moved on with her little kid life. Didn't care about seeing her though. No. <laughs> Isn't that graphic? Mom, you said she's back from Whatever. Heaven? That's a good idea. She goes, well, I didn't know what to do. She couldn't that's stop a, crying. That's a good idea. I'm going to use that. <laughs> so, <laughs> Good news. Back from <laughs> the dead. <laughs> I'm going to tell my kids that anytime one of their pets dies. Oh, yeah. No. <laughs> See, when they come back to life, you kind of have to let them go into the wild or whatever. Oh, my God. It's kind of like the, the story of Easter. Like Jesus died, and then like three days later, everyone's freaking out. They're like, "Never mind, he's he's, oh, no, he's he, alive. Yeah, no, <laughs> he came he back from the dead. <laughs> he totally came back to life. Don't Grandma worry." Grandma Marie it. is basically <laughs> Jesus. <laughs> <laughs> so one of the reasons Sarah and I decided to bring you particularly on the show was to pick your brain as to what it's been like for someone who's not in the medical field to be kind of on the sidelines, overhearing and taking in secondhand all of the stories and gory things that we bring home and the sadness and all of that. How does that make you feel? Um, actually, it, it makes me proud. Like, I, I mean, I don't really like hearing the stories. The stories are depressing and sad. You know, I'll, I'll, I'll be here to listen because I think it's important to decompress probably when you come home for work. I hate hearing it between you and I, like I'm just being honest, like it, it's really uh, sad and it's really depressing to me to hear about end of life stuff and stuff that goes on in the ICU. But, you know, it, it's I think it's important that you unwind after work and tell me, because if you just go around carrying a lot of that shit, that's got to be really unhealthy. Um, yeah, no, it's it's a very depressing very hard job that you guys have and it speaks to the empathy that you have for your patients to be able to go in there day after day in spite of all of that i mean there are certain stories that like you know it's like it's it's sad but like there's things that are kind of cool right like when you get to see some kind of cool procedure or you tell me that you sold save somebody's life or something like that like you know that stuff's pretty cool um you know, for the most part, it I, I take it as a, it's like a job that I could never do. I'm like, uh, I would quit day one. Like, not just dealing with the bodily functions, but like dealing with the sadness of being in, with people who are experiencing like you know, the worst days of their life. So many people say that though. So many people say, this is something I could never do. I don't know how you do it. But you know who also used to say that? Me. How did I get into this? 
Mm. You know, it's one yeah. of those things where something happens in your life and you feel compelled to go into this profession. I had goals and dreams. I wanted to make a difference. I wanted to help. I wanted to be there for people during these times in their lives. Somebody's got to do it. And I knew that I had it in me to be the person to make other people feel good during the dark times of their life. So that's why. Okay, I am going to take a little bit of a turn here. One of the things that's always been interesting to me is birth order in your family. You, my dear husband, are the oldest and I am the baby. Yeah, I'm the oldest. Uh, I actually have two half-sisters from my dad's previous marriage, but that doesn't really count. It's not like the same in the household, right? So, Well, they say if there's more than a five-year difference in the ages, then it kind of starts over. Okay. All right. So you're not tech, you're a new generation. So technically it doesn't even count in birth order. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Well, they're much, much older than five years older than me. So that makes perfect sense. I am then by that definition, the oldest uh, member of the family. Yeah. In the household household, that you grew up in. Mm -hmm. So do you think that makes you distinctive in your certain personalities? Yeah. I mean, I'm just like way better than (laughs) both of my brothers. (laughs) Okay. And, um, let's see. Yeah. In every possible way. So, uh, yeah, every way. Wow. And you are humble beyond measure. So being the oldest, they say that because you are the first born in the household, that you kind of bask in the presence of your parents who are adults. So they say that firstborns tend to kind of act like mini adults. And because the parents are relying on their instincts and being very diligent on rules and kind of being by the book and sticking to schedules and sticking to like very strict with their raising because they have all the time in the world. And they're like, this child needs to go to bed. This child needs to eat more fruits. This child needs more vegetables. This child needs some activity and some socializing time and everything is on a schedule, right? Mm -hmm. But once that second child comes around... Then what happens? Then what happens? Exactly. Less attention is focused on the older child. All the attention is focused on the baby. And again, the older child is now held to a standard of, you know what you're doing, go do it. I have to like change the diaper. I have to make the the bottles. I have to do all the things for the baby. Dress yourself, clean your room. And they kind of just learn how to be an adult super, super fast. And then they also become a caregiver to the baby as a substitute for the parents once in a while as they get older. So the firstborn child is more of a rule follower, a reliable person, a, a leader of the pack, if you, if you will. And every sibling after that is derivative. Yeah. Yeah. Isn't that interesting. Yeah. You just need the first one. The rest are just like, well, they're just like leeches, hangers on. <laughs> Well, here's if you compare like birth order and presidents. So most of our presidents are actually middle children. Isn't that interesting? Is that true? Yes. So most of them are middle children. A lot. The second is um, a lot of them are firstborns. So first or middle children. Hmm. There is, from my records, no youngest child has been the president, and no only child has been the president. Yeah, I mean that's interesting. I mean, so I, the I personality, the more... personality of the middle child, 
I find to be interesting. So everybody out there is going to think about who is the middle child in their family, if there is one, right? Mm. And they always kind of tease that middle child for being like the odd one out or the one that kind of just got forgotten or whatever. And the truth is they are, they are. And here's why. So the oldest child, again, took all of the attention from the parents right out the gate, right? The second child, who is going to be the middle child later, ended up being the baby for a very short amount of time. Then another one comes and all the attention is going to the baby or the oldest because the oldest is endeavoring on all new things. Like they're the ones that have to start kindergarten and it's this big deal and everything is a big deal and they're the first ones to ever conquer any milestone and it's like they have reinvented the wheel. Pioneering. Yes, so, by the second yeah. one. So it's like old news. exclusively outside the comfort zone because the comfort zone doesn't <clears throat> really exist. Right. So the middle child tends to seek attention outside the home. So their closest relationships That's tend right. to this be... This is the middle child? The middle child. Mm. Their closest relationships tend to be friends, tend to be schoolmates, um, other people. People outside of the family. Yes. Huh. And so they tend to be more outgoing, more personable. Uh, okay. All right. That's interesting. What, about, what do you think? Do you think that middle children are, are more outgoing? Has that been your experience? No. <laughs> yeah, me, me too. Yeah, no, I, I haven't seen that. The baby is always the outgoing one. Yeah. In my experience. I think the baby is like borderline antisocial, like just kind of does whatever they want, doesn't adhere to any. Well, the baby is exposed to inappropriate things at a, at a very mm. young age, right? They have older siblings. Yeah, yeah. That are looking at things, watching things, talking about things. They're all ears. And they're listening to everything that their siblings are doing. And they're mimicking everything that their siblings are doing. And the parents, quite frankly, at that point, are exhausted. They are no longer... They're checked out. They're checking out. Especially when like their oldest one is a teenager. Their middle one, let's say, is like nine or ten. And their baby is like seven, six or seven. Yeah, I don't know. They're over it. They're like, oh my God, I'm done. I want to go on a vacation without my kids for a minute. I want to just like. I don't know if it's that they're checked out. I think it's maybe they're like, you know, they're going to be fine. You know, I know, obviously I know what I'm doing. And the kids, based on what I've learned in the past, you know, are pretty resilient. They can figure things out. With the first one, yeah, you're experimenting. You don't know what the hell you're doing. I think kids are, it's kind of natural. Like they kind of figure their own way, right? You, you provide all their basic necessities for them and, and you love them to death. So you naturally do as much for them as you can. But it's all very natural. There's, it doesn't feel like work to me, at least with my kids. I'm like, eh, I'm happy to do everything I can for them. But I, you provide them with the basics, the, the food, the water, the, uh, the shelter and the love and, you know, whatever else. And it kind of just, they like, uh, like all the essential ingredients of growing a plant, they grow. I don't know. I really enjoyed being the baby. I feel like that was just where I was meant to, obviously that's where I was meant to be is where I am. And I could just essentially do no wrong. I have like reverse daddy issues where he was just like my biggest fan. Everything I did. I mean, when I went to like junior college, he showed up at my registration when I'm standing in line to just basically say like, hello, I'd like to register for, you know, these classes. My daughter, she's going to college. (laughs) (laughs) He's yelling Mm, in the lobby. Just so silly. Um, And I honestly think that that was such an important factor of my life to have. It was. It for sure was. Every little achievement be celebrated. Yeah, yeah. no, it's very important. To have a strong father figure in your life is... 
incredibly important for uh, kids and uh, you know you're proof positive of that I think well he also just felt like he always would tell me that I can do anything and I think that's really really important to hear because obviously I can't do anything but I do like to dabble yeah, we know I do like to dabble and have I like to sung? experiment. Have you ever did any singing for your podcast audience? No, and that is one thing that both my parents have told me specifically and in separate moments that I have zero musical ability. Well, I think that should be the Christmas special. Angela and Sarah sing the blues. <laughs> Holy shit, how good would that be? I wonder if Sarah can sing. Well, anybody can sing compared to you. I mean, like a, a dying cat can sing better than you. I'm going to have to ask. It is so bad. It's so remember ridiculous. Mariah Carey back in the 90s? Oh, do I remember had... Mariah Carey? So I had this like inflated sense of myself where I thought I looked like Mariah Carey. I was like, I am Mariah Carey and I want to be Mariah Carey. And I would study her hair. I studied her outfits. I listened to every single one of her albums. I read, you know how in the, in, in the pamphlets, in the CDs, all of the lyrics, Yeah, I would memorize all of the lyrics i would sit in my parents car blast the cd and just sing and then i would take my amazing vocals and i would go inside the house and sing on a microphone thinking that i sounded exactly like mariah carey because i was singing along with her i mean i think you think you're singing like her the problem is you're what's called tone deaf like you can't tell the difference between various tones like your brain can't interpret it appropriately you no. are you are tone deaf. You can't hear the wrong notes you're singing. Sean, I can hear them. No, you can't. I hear every wrong note I hit. I physically can't hit it. Okay, can you whistle? Do you know how to whistle? Not really. Oh, okay. Well, then it's impossible to test this. So uh, These are all physical things I, I can't do. What I would put do. to you is whistle the tune. And if you can whistle it, but you can't you know, sing it, then yeah, there's a problem with your voice. But... <laughs> If you can't even whistle it correctly, then it's like, wow, then you can't hear that you're hitting the wrong note. There's you so can't many adjust things, appropriately. There's so many things wrong with my singing ability, and I'm not trying. What do you think? I'm, I'm sitting here with a microphone talking. I mean, I've heard you try in singing. the shower, and it's like it's like everybody has to leave the room. The dog runs away. What do you mean? In the I shower? I sound amazing. No, you sound like... You All sound of the like, octaves? Like, like a cat that got ran over that I have to take over to the vet to be put down. Okay. You sound really bad. You're being mean. <laughs> That's how you sound. I, however, have the voice of an angel. You do have a great voice. I, and you should be so lucky to hear me sing. No, I tell the kids all the time, like, Daddy can sing like Elvis. You sing like Elvis. Or like that guy. What's that guy? He goes, what's the song? Sean, what's the song? You know what I'm talking about. No. no. I want to fall in love. Chris Isaac? Yes. Chris Isaac. That guy hit some high notes, though. Oh, that's so romantic. Sounds like he was castrated I or something. I love it so much. You can sing exactly like him. <laughs> like I have no balls. <laughs> Sometimes I've, I've actually made you sing. Like we were doing karaoke, and I put that song on, and I just recorded it secretly. Yeah. And you had your eyes closed, and you were full on singing, and I was just in heaven listening to your voice. You're amazing. And I was in hell when I heard yours. I mean, your singing is so bad, it's crazy. Thank you. You're welcome. Here you go. Well, people always ask me, what's the secret to marriage? Actually, no one asks me that. But, you know, I've been married like almost 11 years and I feel like people should be asking me that. Yeah. I've, I've put, I've been put through a lot with you. What did I ever do? I'm a pretty decent oh husband. Oh my God. I think living with anyone, doesn't matter if we're compatible or not, living with another person, whether it be a sister, a roommate, a mother, it mm. doesn't matter. 
it's hard. It's yeah. an adjusting period and people are in your space and it's like, oh, yeah. leave me alone once in uh, a while. No, I'd rather live with you than be alone. I mean, like, right? Like you, being alone sucks. You'd rather live with me than be alone. Yeah, okay. of course. No, I mean, that's not like a, a, a great uh, testimonial, but I, I understand <laughs> that. But what I'm saying is like that that isn't a good enough reason just to say, oh, being up in someone's space all the time. Like it no, I mean, being lonely and being alone is terrible. I've, I've been like that before, and I'd much rather be in a relationship, let alone a relationship with you. I love you very much. But uh, I think our relationship's great. I think our, our marriage has been good, and we've had some really big successes, right? Like, we, we've been together for 10, what, almost 11 years, right? Two kids, a nice home that we've built for us. we got a dog. Yes. We are. We got Teddy. a happy little family here. It's awesome. I, I enjoy it. Yeah. I, I mean, I'm the kind of person good. that I, I always thought like, oh, I'll never get married. I'll never get married. I thought I was going to be a pilot and fly around and be single the rest of my life. But then again, I was 23 years old with that romantic notion. It's completely ridiculous. The thing is, is I've never been an easy person to be with. Everyone's told me this. Mm. And why? I don't know. I, I It all stems back to my childhood and how my dad loved me too much. So I always felt like I am just great. I'm great. I don't need you. I'm great. And when people ask me, you know, that fictional question, like, what's the secret to marriage? Well, for me, the most important thing is to be an independent person as well as be a couple. So because I'm married doesn't mean I can't start a hobby, have my own interests, do my own thing, have my own friends, go places alone. These are things that I think are maybe traditionally frowned upon Mm. in certain marriages. And I think it really makes people feel strangled and suffocated. If you can't live a life that you as an individual enjoy solo yeah I, I get what you're saying i also think it's the secret of marriage to you so uh, right. i think other people have different combinations that work for them like so with us yeah we have that independence like we're both kind of independent independent people so we every once in a while need to have our own space like you go out with your friends i go out with my friends we go out with friends mutually you can go on a trip by yourself i don't get jealous of you i go on a trip without you you don't get jealous of me Sometimes that dynamic doesn't work for everybody. That doesn't that doesn't suit the personality profile of every couple out there, right? So that is the secret that works mm-hmm. for us. But I think you know why is it? Why is it that you and I are able to have success? Mm. Uh, I think we're just honest about who we are and what we expect, and we're secure in that, right? So um, if a couple isn't okay with each other going on trips, uh, you know, be honest about that, but get that out of the way up front. Make sure that. Those boundaries are set earlier on. That seems to be maybe what uh, makes it work, right? But we're also lucky. We're kind of easygoing in that sense, right? Like, yeah, right. I'm, I'm not going to put a, a restraint on you. You're not going to put one on me. To just say time. no to someone. If somebody yeah. really wants to do something Life and you, is short, start, right? you start saying no, that is the one thing that I can't take. If you start saying no to me, like Angela, hey, Sean, I want to I want to start a podcast with Sarah. What do you think about that? Oh, that sounds like really a Perfect. lot of... Perfect. Just don't invite me to come talk on it. Well, I mean, it takes it takes time. It takes time away from you. It takes time away from the family. You know, the not only the recording, but the editing and the PR nonsense that we're trying to do right now. We're trying to grow. So it is taking my time away along with my job and everything else that's going on. So it really, I, I'm so appreciative of you being there and supporting me on this endeavor and this thing that I'm trying to, to take on. And it's independent from you. 
Yeah. You know, you're on this tonight, just probably the first and the last time that we're going to bring you on because it's not fun for you. I can tell. <laughs> no, I don't. I don't care. That's okay. But I'm so, so happy that you came on because I think that when I do talk about you, it's important to like have a face or a voice or a personality to compare it to and to kind of like be there to defend yourself. Because... So uh, I got a question for you. So how, what kind of nurse do you think I would make if I were to go into nursing? I, so think I was kind of thinking about it. It would be either an ER nurse Why or is that? an OR nurse. Why an ER nurse? Or a cath lab nurse. ER, because the ER nurses are a little bit more, they're like rougher around the edges, you know, like they tend to be like, what's up? They don't have to do full head to toe assessments. Mm. They're not held to the same, I guess, like standards as like an OCD ICU nurse would. You know, if the patient shows up to the ICU from the ER, like half dressed with like a field IV and an NG tube that's taped with band-aids, then it's fine. It's like, okay, well, they're just essentially like the first responders of the hospital. Like they're just stabilizing, you know, making sure that all of the things have been started. They they save the person, then you got to go keep them alive. It's a a different dynamic over there. And so they're forgiven for a lot of like... I mean, that, that sounds like a hell of a job too, though. ER oh, nurses sounds rough. Those guys are intense. I have floated there and it's overstimulating. It's overwhelming. I don't like patients in gurneys. I don't like patients in hallways. I don't like having to hear babies crying. And um, it just feels very chaotic and out of my comfort zone. It's cool, though. They're like, um, they're kind of like the rock stars, right? Like they, yes. somebody comes in, they're like, oh, I'll jump on it. Save them, save them. You know? They're the best IV starters. Yeah. They're um, really good at their instincts and triaging with just their eyes. You know, why are you here? And then they can see just right out the gate what's going on and know exactly so, what to do, what questions to ask. What kind of nurse, I mean, I would assume it's an ER nurse, but like what kind of nurse is like the most usable in like the field? Like, like if you're just like out and about and somebody needs a nurse, like somebody's choking, somebody's like dying or whatever. And I like, think oh, any, um, like wouldn't an ER nurse, or like an mm-hmm. ER doctor, like probably be the best suited to like go over and take care of that patient right away. Or oh, that definitely. Person right away. Yeah. Anyone who runs codes. Okay. So, you know, ACLS. So if you do, um, and that, that goes with all surgery nurses, all ER, ICU, whatnot. Um, if you're choking, anybody knows to do the Heimlich maneuver. Mm. these things now when you're out in the field as you say when you're at a restaurant or when you're at a party or someone else's house where you don't have you don't have devices available you don't have suction with you you just got your hands you just have your hands so you you don't have oxygen you don't have needles you don't have drugs like you have nothing it's just you and your hands so these are the things that you have to utilize and you have to know exactly what your limits are and the first thing you do is ask for help. Call nine one one. Okay. Someone yeah. needs to call nine one one. I will do what I can with my hands and my skills that I know with first aid. Well, Sean, let me just say, you have been quite the delight. Thanks for having me, baby. I appreciate it. Well, thank you. It's been wonderful. I really enjoyed you talking to me candidly about all of the things that we discussed. I'm not sure what we discussed, but. I was entertained this whole time. So I love you. Love you too, baby. And for everybody listening, don't forget, follow us, share us, tell a friend. We are growing and we are so excited. Uh, Crash Carts and Cocktails on Instagram. Let us know what, how we're doing. Give us your feedback. Until next time.